You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine fingered host, Dan Johnson. It's hump day. Welcome back to the podcast. My name's Dan Johnson, and you're listening to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. That pause I just did there was to get your anticipation up. Uh, Hopefully you're not let down today because we have a very unique podcast, man. I tell you what, I get emails every day of people not only asking me questions, but you know, people saying that I should do a Q&A podcast. So finally I broke down and I said, okay, we'll do a Q&A podcast. And uh, so I made a post on Facebook and I said, ask me anything you want. And so that's what today's podcast is about. I wrangled in my buddy from the Transition Wild podcast, Adam Parr. And today we, he, he reads those questions. I didn't want to be that guy who basically reads the questions himself, then answers. So I, I brought him up to kind of be a, a moderator. And he asks me the questions, and I answer them. It's fun because not all of the uh, questions are strategic in nature. Uh, we got some fun ones in there as well. And that is what this podcast is all about. So be sure you listen all the way through. And uh, you might even hear how I lost my finger. So that's what today's podcast is about. And before we get into today's podcast, uh, commercial today is Ozonics. Now, you guys probably hear me talk about Ozonics all the time. And I'm definitely, I talk about it even in this podcast uh, about, you know, uh, there's there's some product questions. And I just want to tell you that if you're the kind of guy who doesn't get a lot of time to hunt and you value every opportunity in the tree stand and you want those opportunity to, you know, those opportunities to kill a deer, whether that's a a doe to fill your freezer or you're, you're the kind of guy who wants to shoot a mature buck, having an Ozonics in the tree with you will allow you to have more of those opportunities in my opinion it allows you to get closer to deer it allows you to cut the wind harder and be a little bit more aggressive in your setup and you know if you're the kind of guy who only has a certain amount of time to hunt throughout the year being aggressive is very important as far as accomplishing your goals right um so definitely look into the Ozonics lineup and I don't mean just their in the tree applications because that's badass as it is but I, but the uh, the the closet the Ozonics closet as well to where after you get out of the timber you hang your clothes in there you hit your dry wash cycle it cleans all the bacteria and odor nice and fresh put that back on for the next uh, hunt and uh, you're you're clean and confident going into the uh, timber for for the next possible hunt so those are just a couple reasons why I 
absolutely love Ozonics. I've been using Ozonics for several years now, and uh, it's one of those products that uh, I, I almost feel naked. And you probably hear a lot of people say that, but I almost feel like I forgot something, uh, an important piece of hunting gear, if I didn't uh, have it in the tree with me. So to find out more information about Ozonics, go to ozonicshunting.com. And let's see here. You can receive $75 off of all orders over $400. So go to the Ozonics website. Take a look at what you want to buy. Enter the discount code 9FINGERS17. That's the number 9 followed by the word FINGERS17. No spaces. And you will receive $75 off of your order of $400 or more. So if you're looking for a Christmas present for somebody, this is a great time to save some money on uh on uh, some ozonics gear and swag and products so take advantage of that now enough of the bull crap let's get into today's q a podcast with yours truly all right everybody welcome to today's q a podcast and i've gotten pressured by you guys enough to where i finally have given in and uh wanted i guess i didn't not necessarily want to do this but i guess enough people value my opinion on certain things that they've wanted to hear what I have to say or, you know, get my opinion, go into more details about some of the things that I talk about. And, uh, by no means am I an expert at anything, um, except maybe eating. I really like to eat, (laughs) but, uh, I'm not going to sit here and do this podcast by myself. I think it'd be dumb if it was just me answering questions that I read out loud. So I have swept the internet looking for the best possible person. And I found him and his name (laughs) is Adam Parr. And you, he's been on the podcast several times and he has his own transition wild podcast that is on the sportsman's nation podcast network that I'm sure you guys uh, listen to, but Adam is going to be the guy asking the questions. I'll be answering them. Uh, and I, I did this last minute. I called him up last minute. I said, hey, man, you got time tonight to do this? And uh, he said, man, I'm really busy. I don't know about that. <laughs> Just kidding. He, he, he said yes. So, Adam, man, how you doing? I'm doing good, Dan. If I'm the best person you can find out of the entire Internet, I think uh, I think you got some. <laughs> we got some problems here, man. We might want to reconsider. <laughs> but have you seen some of the creeps that are on the Internet? Yeah, I've seen a few. It's pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. So you know, you're 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 not creepy enough for me to be concerned. So <laughs> I feel I feel that you'll do a good job. Yeah. What did you tell me in this podcast when I started it? You're like, just don't be a creeper and don't get arrested for poaching, and we're good. Yep. I think that's the only <laughs> stipulations to starting a podcast were. Don't get arrested for poaching and don't be a creeper. <laughs> I got that on lock, man. We're good. Locked down. Good deal. Well, um, I guess this is the part of the program where before before I pass it off to you, how is everything on your end? What's going on in Colorado, man? Man, everything's good for the most part. I mean, I still haven't killed anything, so I guess that sucks. But um, yeah. still trying to have a run at Kansas. I was actually out over Thanksgiving weekend and did a little hunting out there. But to be honest, I, that was really the first hunt that I had out there. I stopped on my way out to Iowa. I went, had a quick morning hunt while I was driving out there, but really this was the first weekend and really the first time I've hunted these farms seriously in two years. And I don't know what has changed. I think, I think there's a lot of different cattle in places that weren't there before and the crops have obviously changed i think they're in a little bit of a um dry season but i'm not sure but anyways the the deer numbers there just aren't what they were two years ago i had i had uh you know multiple probably five to six deer over 150 on trail camera two years ago and this year i had one one uh deer so it's uh it's been a tough go i've been seeing some decent bucks you know 120s 130s but it's pretty open where I'm at and, uh, right. you know, pretty much you got to see them and go after them and, and hope you can get a shot, but we're still at it. Hopefully I can make something happen towards the end of the month here in December. 
Well, there is quite a, you know, there's quite a lot of time left, especially with late season coming up. So good luck, man. Hopefully, uh, hopefully you grind it out and get something. Yeah, man. That's the plan. I appreciate it. I just, uh, you know, the cool thing, the cool thing about, uh, shooting deer is that you, one of the, one of the benefits is you get deer meat. And today I picked up all my deer meat from a processor. This is the first time I've ever had someone professionally make like salami and sticks. Um, and then, you know, I got it ground up for some straight deer. And then I also had some, uh, um, like I had some of the ground deer meat mixed with ground beef to cut that gamey taste for people who may not like, uh, that they call it the gamey flavor. I I'm a, I love it, but some people don't. And, uh, my wife's one of them. So I think hopefully this year by me adding that she'll like it better. But the whole thing, the whole thing is you take a deer to the processor. I've typically been used to doing it myself, which takes time. Yep. And the convenience level was there, but the dollar amount, I spent 350 bucks today to get two deer processed. And I don't know if that's a lot or not a lot, but for me, it was a lot. And when they called me and said, Oh, it's going to be uh, 350 bucks. I'm just like, Oh shit. <laughs> it's those snack sticks that get you, man, where they do that. Oh, those, yeah. That's the expensive part. I mean, it's right. not cheap as is. And like I said, you can save a lot of money doing it yourself, but that's, that's where you get the expense. Those, you know, cheddar cheese, snack sticks oh, yeah. and jerky and all that stuff. That's where, yep. that's where they, <laughs> they rack up that bill, but it's worth it though. It's good yeah, stuff. Right. It's good stuff. Yeah. So I have a full freezer and a full deep freeze and I've already had some of the deer sticks thawed out and had some of those tonight as an appetizer before supper. So, uh, those turned out great. Now, I think we should quit bullshitting and get into this, which is actually just more bullshitting. But, <laughs> but, but um, I think this is the time where I just uh, I pass it to you. You tell me who asked the question, what the question is, and then uh, I guess I'll just do my best to answer it. You're the expert, Dan, so we're, yeah, right. we're relying on you, man. <laughs> cool. Well, uh, yeah, let's kick it off. So essentially you had a bunch of user submitted questions either through email or Facebook or other yep. social media. And, uh, we're just going to run through them here. Uh, so let's start out with the first one. This is Brian Barr. Um, do you have any specific gear that you won't hunt without or something that drives you nuts if you forget it? Obviously, if you forget your bow arrows or release, you're turning around, but is there anything else? Yeah. Man, that's a good question. You know, obviously the essentials, you can't hunt without your bow arrow, like he said, but you know, man, this is going to part. Some of these questions I don't even like to answer because I feel it's a setup for me to sound like a whore. Like I'm, you know, I'm whoring out the, my partners, but man, Ozonics is one of them where, you know, you hunt with it so long and the, you just feel so confident in your setup, especially if you're, you're, cutting the wind hard um like i do a lot when i you know i think in the past i mentioned these things called 50 50 hunts where there's a chance that if the deer comes through they're gonna bust me if that wind shifts just a little bit so i like to have that ozonics for backup and you know so if i don't have the ozonics in the tree i feel i do feel honestly naked i feel like i'm not as confident with my setup um so that's one thing that is that really upsets me but the thing that probably upsets me the most and this is especially during run and gun setups is if i don't have enough screw in tree hooks and i have to figure out a way to hang my bag and my bow and let's say like a rattling antlers or a grunt call or i'm wearing it now instead of hanging it and it just pisses me off when Um, I, maybe I only brought one with me and I have, I know that I have like six or seven of them in my truck. So those are, those are two things that really come to, you know, come to my brain right off the bat. But I'm trying to think if there's anything else, screw in tree step or screw in tree hooks and the Ozonics. Other than that, um, you know, I obviously safety harness, but, uh, other than that, those are two, you know, the Ozonics, I would definitely probably turn around depending on how far I am. If I'm already set up and it's not in my pack mysteriously when I open it, 
I'm not going to probably go back. But if I realize I forgot it and I'm halfway there, I'm turning around and I'm going back or turning the truck around and going back to the, the house to get it. So, yeah, uh, I, I guess that's how confident I feel in that. For sure. For sure. I'll, yeah. I'll second you on those tree tree hooks, man. It's like I knew I put this here, but it's not here <laughs> anymore. And you get up there and you're like trying to get all your shit out of the tree and yeah. you're hooked up. And it's it's uh, it can be especially frustrating in the morning. Uh, when right. it's, when it's dark. So, um, yeah, or, definitely. Or holding your, like I've, when I started hunting, I would always have my bow rested across my lap, right? That's how I hunted. And then after hunting several years by having some kind of, uh, bow arm or tree hook to hang my bow on, <laughs> like, and then having to rest that on your lap and trying to use your binoculars at the same time, it just, <laughs> it's really, it's really frustrating. Yeah, or it can be a catch twenty two if you got your bow hung up behind you, and then a deer comes in on the opposite side. It's like used to be you just had it on your lap, or I my uh, my old bow used to fit in my lone wolf, but now with these new you know limbs and cam designs, it doesn't. Um, yeah. But you know sometimes you got it hanging up behind you when when if you had it on your lap, you'd be a little bit more prepared for a shot. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Cool, cool. What do we got next? We got Byron Horton, and his, Byron qu- Horton. his question is, who do you look up to a, as a hunter on uh, Wired to Hunt and your podcast? You have spoken to a lot of guys, and he wonders if any of them stick out to you and why. Man, that's kind of a crazy that's – a, that's a hard question to answer, and the reason I say that is because I don't – I try not to look up to people uh, when it comes to hunting and not to sound arrogant, but I think what you, what people do, and I think there, this might be, you know, going into it a little deeper. I think what people start to doing, doing is they're looking up to somebody, but at the same time, they're comparing their success with someone that they may be looking up to's success and they don't hunt the same property that you do. They don't hunt the same situations that you do, the, the deer population, you know, the age class. And then what happens is, is then hunters, you know, we're all, I'm not saying all, all hunters are men, but you know, you get into this big dick competition where we're all trying to compare who's better. And the hunting industry has done a really good job at, putting antlers as a sign of success, big antlers as a sign of success. And the people who are killing these giant bucks that we see in media today are, you know, the, the celebrities of the world who are hunting huge tracks of low pressure, highly managed property. I mean, these guys, and I know from, I know for a fact, these guys are passing 190 inch four-year-olds to, to get to this 200 inch magical number. And I don't know, I can't, I can't relate to that. I don't know a lot of guys who can, right? Mm -hmm. So when it comes to looking up to somebody, I don't know, man, I, I, some of these guys I interview on the nine finger Chronicles podcast, like, uh, one guy, a couple guys come to mind, um, gosh, I forget his name, Mike Perry, I believe this very successful public land hunter out in Pennsylvania. I mean, these guys are going in basically against the odds. They're putting in the time they're grinding, they're doing the scouting. And I really look up to that because it shows that there, if you want to be successful killing mature deer, you have to do a lot of work outside of the season to, you know, I guess, to, to be, you know, become successful if your definition of success is killing, let's say a mature buck, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. So I get it's, that's a hard question because, you know, I don't watch a lot of hunting TV. Um, I've, I've definitely learned a lot from certain people over the years, um, you know, how to play the wind and how to, uh, I guess, access that kind of stuff. Those are some things that I've taken away. But I know it kind of sounds arrogant, but there's not really anyone that I necessarily look up to for the pure fact that I 
I, I want to be my own person. I'm not trying to, I don't want to, I don't know. Like I, I, I like the, I like the Dan Infault method, you know, how it's almost 90% scouting, 10% hunting. But then again, I don't hunt like he hunts. I don't hunt the same types of properties that he hunts. So I can take those principles away, but I, I have to do my own mental work and scouting to implement that to the properties that I hunt, which are completely different. So, um, I don't know, man. I, and for me, like I've never, other than reading outdoor life and field and stream when I was a kid, I've never really read any of these, these books that a lot of people talk about when they, you know, when they say, oh man, I fell in love with hunting when I read so-and-so's book on how to kill big bucks or, you know, how to hunt farmland deer or, or whatever. So I, I hope that answers the question and doesn't make me sound like an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> no, man, that's great. And I, I can definitely appreciate, you know, somebody who gets it done every year and, um, you know, who is just a solid hunter. Um, but I find myself for me, you know, it's not like we have anything to prove as a hunting culture or anything, but in today's era of social media and everyone, you know, seeing hunting and, you know, at the end of the day, it's a very, um, you know, it's a killing sport. And I, I kind of, as I kind of progress, I kind of see myself, you know, looking up to the guys like, um, let's say meat eater or heartland bow hunter, those guys that can kind of portray it in a different light and, um, you know, show more of the art side and the process and, um, you know, the whole, whole strategy and story behind everything. And I, I just think in today's era, um, I think we kind of need more of that. And I just think they do a really good job of explaining that and showing to somebody who may not hunt or necessarily understand what we do, um, it kind of puts the needle a little bit more in that favor. Right. And I think that if you, if the only thing that's important to you is the size of the rack, I think you're missing out on a lot. Oh, for sure. Um, Whether that is just observing the moment and, and being a hunter, man, I just don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't get it. And I can't, I, I definitely can't relate to the, the rest of the industry as far as like the TV personalities and whatnot. Yes. I hunt in a big buck state. Yes. I hunt in great on great properties that hold big deer, but man, I I just, I can't relate to passing certain deer or because I know he's going to be bigger next year. It's not guaranteed for me. Uh, I don't plant food plots. I, I can't afford to buy my own property yet someday. That's a goal. But, um, and it just really pisses me off that the 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 industry is so focused on the the size of the antler that it just it turns it into a competition and then when you're competing against someone i mean take it for for this when you're playing basketball the sport of basketball all these people have the same rules to follow right and that's what makes the sport fair and equal right mm-hmm. now the guy hunting in Michigan does not have the same uh, set of circumstances that let's say myself hunting in Iowa has a, a public land hunter does not have the same set of circumstances that a private ground owner does who let's say manages a ton of property um, so these there's so many circumstances and variables that don't allow us to be on the same page yet we're comparing our success based off of like rules that are given to someone who hunts large managed of public, you know, large managed private acres. So, um, and then especially when then they say that those person and and this topic comes up all the time and I I know I'm kind of going off on a tangent here, (laughs) but, but, but who is, who's the best hunter? Who's the best hunter? And then they start naming some of these personalities. Well, I don't know if I necessarily see it like that. Uh, and I don't want to get into too much detail, but you know, you're good at managing ground and you're good at waiting in a, I don't know, you're waiting for these deer to, to show up and then you shoot them, which at the moment of truth, you have to, you have to be on your a game, but I don't know, man, like the, 
I, I really respect the guys who go out and are these running gun hunters. They're mobile. They know how to read terrain. They know how to read sign. They know how to play the wind. They know the access routes to get in and out. And man, I tell you, I, I really appreciate those guys that get it done uh, on these, you know, either public or, or high pressured States. So. Agreed. Agreed. Everyone has different circumstances and that's a very subjective, you know, yeah. kind of being the best or whatever. That's very subjective. So all, all good points there, Dan. Yep, absolutely. All right. What's next? All right. A little, uh, light, lighthearted here. Do you pee <laughs> from your tree stand? And this was submitted from Thomas Hack. Do you uh, well, Tom- do you go number one, Dan? <laughs> I tell you what, uh, I do go number one. And if you catch me on the right day, I may go number two. I was going to ask you that. Do you prefer? Do you climb down, or you do? Do you do the uh, sky dump technique? Oh, dude, <laughs> dude. The sky dump technique, you have to be good, right? And you got to be wearing a safety harness. It's a little dangerous. It is a dangerous. And I, it's, it's difficult to do in the colder temperatures because you have so much additional clothing to, that you're wearing. But, you know, like the sky dump early season is easy. But the sky dump late season when you may have like um, a pair of long johns on and you have some overalls on, yeah, you're playing with fire at that point. Yeah, man, you could you could hit the stand, you could hit the back of your overalls. That's just not good. Nope, nope. But I tell you what, man, I don't know. There's a lot of people that are really sen- sensitive, and uh, for me, I mean, I don't, I don't care. I, 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 I go to the bathroom from the tree stand, and I don't really think twice about it. Same. Yeah. I, I've never really paid much attention to it. And honestly, uh, in some mock scrapes, I've, I've made some of those and peed them and I didn't really see any difference, whether it's right. doe urine or buck urine or my own. It's kind of a curiosity thing and I yep. uh, haven't really seen anything spook from it per se. Right. Funny story. Funny story. One time I was doing a sky dump, uh, during a <laughs> bow hunt <laughs> and, uh, I, I'm bent over and I hear some crunching coming up behind me and I'm thinking, okay, it's just a squirrel or a raccoon. And I continue doing what I'm doing. And then all of a sudden I hear Jesus Christ. (laughs) Don't tell me it's your wife or something. No, no, it was my stepdad. (laughs) And he's, he walked up on me cause he was hunting a a tree stand further down the, the fence line. And he got out of the tree stand to come back to the truck after a morning hunt. And, uh, I had a cup of coffee now, now I've learned, I learned my lesson and I don't drink coffee before morning hunts anymore. <laughs> I I have also taken that same approach. It's not yeah. good. Not good. No, nope. no. Nope. So I just kind of, tr- I try not to do, have to put myself in that situation. <laughs> oh man. If, if I would have seen you do that, I would have taken a picture and s- smeared you all over social media for sure. <laughs> do you think now I got a question if, if there was a picture of some celebrity sky dumping, do you, do you think it would hurt their career or make them more relatable to the average guy? I think, I think it would help them. I think people would relate to that and, and it's like, it would make for a really good meme. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> too good. Too good. <laughs> we should probably move on. Yeah. Let's, let's, uh, let's get off that topic. <laughs> All right. A little bit more serious here. This one's from, I don't know how to pronounce this name, Luge? Luge Liss? Have you ever had a bad confrontation with any other person in the woods? What happened, and how did you handle that situation? Ooh, man, I tell you what. That was a, that that's a, uh, a crazy question. Because in the news in Iowa right now, there is a homicide investigation going on about a hunter that they found murdered. He was all in camo on a piece of public ground. So they're not saying how it happened yet. Um, but now getting back to, to the question, I have walked out of a tree stand before I got permission to hunt this piece of property and I parked my truck down on this two track, walked to the tree stand. And when I get back, there's two guys waiting at my truck who were also hunting that same property and they 
they tried to strong arm me and basically say, uh, and I led with the most reason, what I thought was the most reasonable, like, Hey, let's exchange numbers. That way we can talk about where we're hunting. And that way we're not walking in on each other. And the guy was just like, well, I've been hunting here for 19 years. Uh, you can go, you can probably go find another place to hunt. And I said, well, I got permission. What's your name? Cause they told me that you weren't, uh, no one else was on this property. My name's so-and-so and I've been hunting here for, you know, 19 years. And I said, Oh, okay, well, uh, do you want to exchange information? And they said they did, they didn't want to, they just pretty much said, we're hunting here. You need to go find a different place. Well, that was a bad move on their part because I was like really good friends with the landowner's grandson. And that's who I got my permission from. And they said, why don't you uh, go tell them to call me? So I put a tree, a note on their tree stand, and which was over top of a bait pile, by the way. Oh, geez. I went, yeah. So this guy was just doing all types of bad stuff out there, I bet. And so I end up, show, you know, putting this note on his tree stand to call. And so he calls my buddy's dad, who was in charge of the property because the grandpa was in the, in the nursing home. And he said, and he goes, well, who are you? Well, my name's so-and-so and I've been hunting here for 19 years. He goes, huh, I've been married to, I've been married to so-and-so's daughter for 25 years. And this is the first time I've ever heard about you. Well, I asked permission and he goes, when? <laughs> 19 years ago. So he asked permission one time and then thought that that gave him lifetime rights to the property. And sure enough, the guy goes, well, he, he tried to strong arm the, my buddy's dad over the phone saying, well, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to continue to hunt here, which, uh, you don't do that to my buddy's dad. And he's like this, he's a badass. Anyway, he, uh, <laughs> he says, what are you doing? He's like, I'm hunting on this property. He goes, the hell you are. You're just trying, you're trying to strong arm me over the phone. Why don't you take your tree stands down and get out? So he ended up kicking this guy off the property and I had, free reign to that property then. So I, I thought I handled it the, the right way. I mean, I've had encounters with, uh, people before, um, you know, not doing very good things like baiting. And, and I, so I had have to have a conversation with them like, Hey man, I can't be associated with this. I still want to hunt here. So I'm going to have to ask you to stop baiting. And they look at me funny, like you're not the landowner, but if I go to the landowner and not to be a tattletale, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I don't want to get in trouble. So I have to, so yeah. So I mean, I've had definite situations of got people doing bad things and, uh, you know, conflicts with other people, you know, some of them go good. You know, some of the, some of the, the, the encounters I have with other hunters are people who are ethical and reasonable and they're doing the same thing that I am. They're out there to just, you know, just, hunt their hunt. And, you know, I just communicate with them. Hey, where are you going to be? You know, when's your vacation? Uh, where, where are your trail cameras at? Or so I can avoid them, you know, and all that stuff. And, um, you know, have you had anything stolen this year and, and, and communicate that way with them. So for every, for every 40 good encounters, there's, there's one bad encounter. And unfortunately those people don't last too long. So, yeah. Yeah, I've been fortunate not to have any bad run-ins. It's it's mainly just been a few things, a miscommunication from the landowner to, you know, somebody else hunting the property and you meet each other and that's about it. And uh so yeah. I'm I'm fortunate in that regard. I'll knock on wood for that. Right, right. Now, was the second part of that about poaching or not? No, that's not in nope. there. Um uh, let's okay. see. That's all right. Was that a different I think question? I think there's another question further down the line. We can, we can ask, we can answer that later. Yeah. 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 Sounds good. All right. Let's, uh, next question we have Ryan cook. His question is in the past episodes, you and Mark have talked about nose jammer. I'm seriously kicking around the idea of using ozone products when Mm. using an entire ozone system. Does it help or hinder to use cover scents like code blues smoke coon urine or nose jammer type products right okay let's see here 
So obviously I use Ozonics. I have the bag. I soak my clothes in Ozonics. Um, when I'm not wearing them, I put my hunting clothes on. They're clean. Um, and then I, I walk to the stand and I am, like he said, a huge fan of nose jammer. I just feel that stuff. I've been busted several times before on my access routes and since I started using nose jammer, which by the way, they are not a partner of the podcast. Um, I have seen deer either follow it or cross it with absolutely no problems. And I just keep continually using it every year. I know people are like, well, why do you want to use ozone to kill as much scent as possible? But at the same time, put more scent on your boots when you're walking in. And I think a lot of it has to do with, and and I'll probably say this a lot, but what you feel confident with and how you feel confident w- using, you know, particular products. And I feel confident using nose jammer. And so that's why I continue to use it, man. I th- just like Ozonics allows me to cut the wind a little harder. I think a product like nose jammer, especially for walking in and walking out gives you the ability to be maybe a little bit more aggressive in your uh, access routes and i'll give you an example is this year there is a stand that i can go the long way around and it's a long way around or i can just walk maybe eh, from where i park maybe a half mile as opposed to a mile and a half to get back to the stand and so what i do is i douche myself with nose jammer and I walk straight to the tree stand knowing that my scent is going to blow into a potential bedding area, but I feel that that nose jammer works so well that the short amount of time that I am walking by this bedding area, it's not a consistent, right? I mean, cause, cause I'm moving, therefore my scent, my scent profiles moving and the deer maybe get a whiff of it. They get that nose full of nose jammer and they're just like, what the hell is that? And then they will, once I'm passed, they'll settle back down and actually never be able to identify what it was that, you know, cause they're not going to, they're not seeing me. They're just potentially smelling me. So, um, I guess it allows me to be a little bit more aggressive in my, uh, in my access routes. And I feel that, I don't know. I just, I just feel confident using that product and I, I believe it works. Got it. Nice. Yeah, I have I have no uh, I have nothing really to add there because I've I haven't used either one of them. I haven't used Ozonics yeah. or Nose Jammer, but I've I've heard good things from a lot of people. I just yeah. uh, with a lot of the Western hunting that I'm doing now, um, you know, I'm really not totally concerned about my scent as much, and I'm just strictly right. playing the wind, and that's all I do. Right. Yeah, and I think that's you know that plays a, that's a a great point is depending on how you hunt. I mean, if you're a spot and stock hunter, you have to use the wind, you know, um, you're not, you're not, you're trying to get as close to that animal as possible, as opposed to tree stand hunter, which is hoping that the animal gets as close as possible to you. Yeah. So it's almost like the roles are switched there. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Good stuff, Dan. I like it. I like it. (laughs) (laughs) I should charge for this one. You should, should, man. I should, should charge. Charge a dollar and then give it to conservation. Yeah, you you did that post the other day. You were like, "Let's raise some money, man. This is your opportunity." Oh, dude, we're. I wanna. I'm gonna. And I. Uh, have you had an opportunity to listen to the newest uh, um, Nine Finger Chronicles podcast yet? The one that I posted on Monday, which man. is today, actually. Don't fire me, but no, I haven't. Oh, <laughs> Not yet. At least. No, I, I, I will this weekend. You. I can't fire you. You're an independent contractor. All right. But perfect. I think the motto is going to be make it rain on conservation. Nice. Well, you know what make it rain means, right? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> <laughs> but I, yeah, that's what I want to do. Throw those dollar bills out, Dan. Yeah, 99 I wanna, cents. I wanna, 99 cents. I want to throw dollar bills into the air, thousands of dollars, <laughs> and I want to make it rain down on conservation. So let's do it. <laughs> anyway, let's do it back, back to the podcast. <laughs> let's keep a funny one going. We got Ben Fisher 
What's your favorite Doritos flavor? Oh, dude. Man, this might be the hardest question I answer. Because, you know, they have, like, wine connoisseurs, which they'll tell you, okay, well, this wine goes great with this kind of cheese and this kind of cracker and and this kind of meal. And it's, it's great from, you know, from this time of year to this time of year. I think Doritos, in my opinion, there's only two types of Doritos, right? There's Cool Ranch and then there's Regular. All the other stuff that's out there, you know, doesn't exist in my world. And I think there is a place in time for cool ranch and then there's a place in time for regular Dorito. And I'm trying to think. <laughs> agreed. Agreed. If I'm no. having, if I'm having like tacos or like a, you ever had a walking taco where oh, you, yeah. you bunch up the Doritos in the bag? I want the regular Doritos right. for that. But cool ranch right. is more like maybe with a bologna sandwich or something. You know what I'm Absolutely. saying? Absolutely. Not necessarily with a bologna sandwich and mayo, but on a bologna Ooh. sandwich and mayo. Ooh. You know that, what I mean? That is the ultimate hunting lunch right there. Absolutely. So let me break this down for you a little bit more because I feel that this is a, a very important to talk about. <laughs> very. There is a certain type of potato salad, and it's called Mrs. Jerry's. It's like G-E-R-R-Y apostrophe S that they sell here in Iowa. And it's a sweeter uh, type of potato salad. So what I do being the health nut that I am <laughs> is I will buy a bag of regular Doritos and use that Miss Jerry's Jerry's potato salad as a dip. So I will, <laughs> I will dip Doritos into potato salad and, you know, call that a lunch. <laughs> dude, that sounds healthy. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and I'm I'm not joking, dude. It is delicious. It is delicious. Sounds like it. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to try that one out next hunting trip or something. Right. Cool ranch, man. Maybe maybe uh you know, you're driving down the road, grab a bag of cool ranch and a mountain dew. You gotta you know, you need a little energy between the gas station and, and uh the farm. So you, you pound a bag of cool ranch real quick and <laughs> Yeah. Cool cool ranch is a standalone. You can eat that just by yourself, right? Or, you know, right. by itself. But you know, the regular, you kind of gotta have something to go with it. I feel like, right now, hey, I got a question. This is this is something I t- I do, but <laughs> a bowl of chili. You put here, here's how I I doctor my chili up. I don't just eat it with some oyster crackers. I take saltines, right? Crunch it up. I put cheese in with it. I put a dab of uh, a sour cream, and then I take I, if there's Doritos. I will replace the saltines with Doritos. So my my Doritos are the crackers. So I'll crunch up the Doritos and then I'll put them in, in the chili and basically make a mush and eat the mush. That's how that's how I that's how I roll. I like the mush. Everyone everyone says I put way too many crackers in my soup, so it's no longer a soup. It's just like it's like the only thing to describe it. It's just mush. And that's the way I, that's the way I prefer it, man. It's the way to go. Yeah. Right, right. So don't let anybody – if you're a listener out there and you're getting judged on how many crackers you put in your chili, you know, you know. Don't feel it's alone. It's okay. Yeah, don't feel <laughs> Don't feel alone. All good, right. Good All stuff. Right. Good stuff. <laughs> this, is, this is what we like to call entertainment. This is top-notch entertainment right here. Strictly hunting. This is only hunting right. entertainment. We're not veering off course at all. I can tell you that. Right. all right next one uh greg kraus and his question is what exactly is your run and gun setup how do you carry your stands and your sticks what backpack do you carry and what's exactly in it so describe that setup dan okay so run and gun um it all starts with uh, i i currently have a sitka tool bucket backpack. That's what I use. Um, I think it's, I think it's the bigger one of the two backpacks. I know they have some Western style backpacks too, but mine's the tool bucket. And what I like about it is it has two horizontal straps that go across the back of the, um, bag. So what I will do is I will take my tree stand, my lone wolf tree stand when it's folded up, I'll set it right down on top of there. And then what I'll do is I'll take a, an extra jacket or a hooded sweatshirt and I'll lay that on top of that. 
then I used to stack my sticks. But when I do a run and gun, I've noticed over the years that when I take those sticks apart, they make noise. Or if I attach them to the directly to the tree stand, they make noise when I uh, take them apart. So what I'll do is I will take two sticks, lay them on top of the hooded sweatshirt, then I'll roll those in almost like a little like a taco or burrito, and then set two more sticks on top of that. So there's not really anything any metal to metal contact. I'll take those horizontal straps on the pack, and then tighten those up. Now, if it's colder temp, I may throw a pair of overalls or an extra jacket or something either in the pack or on the outside so that as I'm climbing up, set the tree stand up, get dressed at the bottom of the stand, depending on the, on the scenario or in the stand. And, uh, um, so when I'm taking that pack apart at the base of the tree, I am as quiet as possible. So in my pack, I mean, your typical, you know, your, your spotting or, uh, your range finder, your binoculars, your screw in steps, some extra, you know, a bottle of water, <laughs> some, some toilet paper, <laughs> uh, for, for the sky dumps. And then, um, you know, I got my Ozonic set up with the screw in, uh, attachment there trying to think of what else rattling antlers are either in the bag or attached to the bag, but underneath of the stand. And then I have it all attached. So when I take my tree stand apart, I can just slip my backpack back on. I have my bow rope in my pocket. So when I climb up, that kind of loosens up and it comes out of my pocket and then I'll just tie it to the tree stand and, and able to pull my bow up in. Eh, sometimes I can do it in two, I just, I'd rather go as slow as possible on these setups. So I'm, I'm, you know, not leaving a very big sound footprint, if that makes sense. So, um, so, and that's typically my run and gun. I, I don't, the only reason I have the straps on my lone wolf is so when I climb up the sticks that I, when I get to the top, I, I can hook my lineman's belt up around lean back a little bit and slide my, my lone wolf off of my back and I'm right there. I can put it up. So yeah. Yeah. That's kind of my running gun setup. I totally see it. And, uh, kind of a second, you know, part two question. This is from Jeremy Yates kind of goes right along with, you know, your running gun when going in blind running and gutting to a new area. Do you have any tips on picking the correct tree in the dark? that that's tough to do i don't care who you are the only way i will go into a blind run and gun tree stand setup is if i have hunted that specific tree or area before now if i'm going on to like a, a brand new property i would probably without scouting it there's no way I would do it because I just, I just think that, and, and this has happened to me several times where you, you set your tree stand up, it's pitch black, dark, you think everything's fine. And then you, it starts to get daylight and deer start working by you and you don't have a shot because you were unable to see, you know, certain branches that were down or they're, you know, not able to trim a shooting lane. So it's, I try not to do any type of morning run and gun hunts if I don't have to. Uh, last year I did because I said to myself, okay, yesterday I saw a buck work in this area. I don't have a tree stand in there and I know he's coming through that area on a, you know, in the mornings. So I'm not going to go over there now. I'm going to go in there in the morning with a stand on my back. That deer never showed that day, but I knew the area previously from scouting and, uh, that's the only way I'll do a, uh, a morning. I just think there's too many things that can go wrong. If you do a, a completely blind run and gun, uh, setup, if you, if you're moving in for a kill. Now, if you're going in for an observation hunt, that, that may be a little bit different of a story because an observation hunt, you know, it's almost like 
there's there's kill hunts and there's non-kill hunts. And yes, sometimes non-kill hunts can turn into kill hunts, but you're like your main focus is to to observe the area, not necessarily move in for a kill. So maybe that would be okay. But if you're moving in for the kill, I just feel that if, if you don't prepare properly, that that scenario could turn into a big buck really close, but no shooting window. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. Like you said, I think you got to have a pretty good idea, pretty good idea where you want to be. Maybe not the exact specific tree, but yeah. um, if you haven't been there before, I, I, like I said, I, I, I found myself doing that in Iowa. I, I found myself going in right at first light and just taking my time and kind of still hunting my way towards yeah. the area I want to be and then setting up because you can just see so much more and, and be more specific with where you exactly want to be, especially if you're setting up for an all-day sit. Last thing you want to do yeah. is when it gets light out and then a you know deer walks in front of you, you can't shoot it, and then you got to pull down and move and and right. do all that. So it's, it's, right. you're better off kind of erring on the side of caution in my mind. And, and that usually means going in, you know, with it being somewhat light out. Right. And I, I mean, and that's one thing that I have the ability to do, you know, on the farms that I hunt, I have the ability to scout them before the season starts to find out good tree stand locations. And if I, if I believe it's good enough, I'll leave a tree stand there or if it's a secondary stand, I may set up my tree stand, trim it out, and then take it down so that when the season does get here, then it's time to, you know, I can just go set my tree stand up. And I know that tree's already been worked, so it's ready. Yeah, yeah, for so. sure. Good stuff, Dan. I like it. Yeah, buddy. All right, let's see. Oh, we talked about it earlier. So this is the trespasser one. So this yeah. is from Nate Mercier or Mercier. How would you go about addressing trespassers and potential poachers on the property that you hunt, but may not be at year round to monitor? So basically, you know, a property that is probably not close to you. How do you address trespassers and poachers on that property? Right. So I'll tell you this right here. I have no tolerance whatsoever. I have a zero, zero tolerance policy with poaching and trespassing. And although I do not own any property or lease it. I feel that is my moral responsibility to relay any information either back to the landowner or to the authorities. So if I hear a gunshot during the rut in Iowa, there's no gun seasons. So, and typically when people go out to shoot their guns, uh, especially around the areas that I hunt, it's uh it's bang 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 you know they're out there shooting and and they're they're shooting a firearm they're not they're not hunting with a gun so i make i may call the dnr uh and say hey i heard a i heard a shotgun noise or i heard a, a noise um luckily i haven't had to do that in a while but um you know that's one thing is is go straight to the authorities um it's if you feel someone's trespassing and you catch them, then you have to tell them, do you, and I mean, this is what I do. Do you have, do you have permission to be here? It's very simple. Yes or no, no, get out of here. I'm going to go relay this information and you can, you can say I'm a tattletale if you want. I don't give a shit. If that person, if that person gets hurt on that property and the landowner then says nobody hunts my property and then I'm screwed. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. So, so it's, you have to treat that property like it's your own and relay as much information back to the, um, the landowner as possible. Like I've had too much bullshit go down with stolen cameras and stolen property. So if I don't know you and I know you don't have permission, you best believe I'm going to do or say something about it because I work too damn hard to have my equipment stolen uh, whether it was that person or not, I'm assuming you don't have permission to be here. You're a suspect in my, on my books. So, um, obviously you can't take matters into your own hands. You can call the authorities and you can, uh, talk with a landowner and, and just relay that information back to them. Uh, the landowner may not necessarily need to be involved if you think it's a poaching case because the, 
a DNR officer can take matters into his own hands. He doesn't necessarily need the landowner's permission to do an investigation, a poaching investigation. So, you know, make sure you have maybe a DNR officer on standby, give them as, or on, on your cell phone, give them as much information as possible. If you feel that there's illegal activities going on, tell the landowner, because obviously the landowner doesn't want illegal activities going on on their property. And it's a, it's a liability issue as well. So, Oh, for sure. I guess. Yeah. And like you said, I mean, there could be a guy throwing, uh, you know, bait out there or running mineral sites. And if something were to happen or go down, that officer doesn't know that it was you or some other guy. I mean, if you were hunting there and all of a sudden something happened, um, I mean, you're the one that's going to take the hit. And uh, that's, that's something that nobody, nobody can afford for sure. Right. That, that happened to me about five years ago. I'm doing really? a run and gun. Yep. I'm doing a run and gun on a different piece of property. And well, the authorities weren't involved, but I was doing a run and gun on a, a, a newish piece of property set up. I'm, I'm walking to this area that I scouted previously. I walk by, I'm, I get to where I'm going and there's a tree stand there with a big mineral pile there. And it's early November. And I'm just like this entire area is now ruined because there is a mineral hole or some kind of feed or whatever right in front of this tree stand. And I can't hunt it because if the DNR officer comes in here and I'm in the tree stand in this area, that makes me look guilty. So I'm screwed. So I had to back out and go to a different part of the farm. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think, uh, I mean, if I had a lease, I mean, the farms I hunt in Kansas and Eastern Colorado, I really don't have that much vested in them. I just have landowner permission. I'm not paying a lease. Um, I'm not planting food plots, but if I, if I was doing that and I own the property or I was paying a, a high dollar lease, honestly, I would probably run a few of the cellular cameras. Um, maybe not necessarily yeah. to scout. Um, but maybe some of those corridors where you think maybe people that could be accessing it in those certain areas, maybe throw a couple of those up because like I said, you, you spend yeah. way too much time um, you have way too much vested and they're basically stealing from you, even if they're just like walking yeah. through and, uh, that yeah. embrace the technology is all I'm saying. Yep. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. Cool. All right. So let's see. What do we got here? Justin Martin. His, it's pretty fitting for, for the time period we're in right now. His question is, is there any truth to a second rut? I hunt yeah. Illinois and saw rut activity first week in November, but hear Illinois hunters saying the rut is on this week. I am skeptical, but obviously I do not know everything, and I would be interested to hear your take on this issue. Right. So let's just start off with some statistics here. Um, The rut is a bell curve, right? So uh, based off statistics in, in, in your typical Midwest um, Midwest type setting peak breeding based off, uh, research is somewhere around November 14th. Now does can get bred before that and does can get bred after that, but there's that, that ramp up, right? So we have, let's say mid October all the way up to November 14th and then back down again to, uh, you know, late November. So I have, I don't do any research, right? All I can tell you is what I've seen from the stand. And I have seen what I feel is a smaller condensed second rut in, I want to say the first week of December here in Iowa and not every year because I feel this in research can, can prove some of this, but what they say is if a doe is healthy enough and she doesn't get bred the first cycle, she will cycle again and come back into breeding however many weeks later. So if there are does that do not get bred, there's a potential that this doe can come back into heat. And if the bucks are still horned up enough, they'll do rutting activity with her her chasing, uh, you know, chase them, try to breed them, fight, whatever. And that right there 
can give off the appearance as a second rut. You know, it's a second cycle. Now, if you get enough does that are not bred, that, you know, that can be a bigger, bigger rut from a visual standpoint, right? If, if you're in the tree stand and you see deer going bananas some morning because maybe there's two hot does left on the entire farm and all these bucks are going crazy to, to try to chase them, that's going to look like the rut. So, but it's, you know, it's obviously not the, it's not the main rut. So I have seen it a handful of times. I don't see it every year. And obviously the older I get, the less I hunt throughout the year. I just try to, you know, focus all my energy towards the the great times of year. But in the past, I have seen, I guess, what someone would call a, a, a second rut. Now, if you're talking about rutting activity on let's say the first week of November uh, as opposed to the second week of November that the second week of November is not going to be your second rut that's going to be the first rut just time different on the property that you hunt based off of when the does are coming into heat so uh hopefully that answers answers the question yeah, no, I think that's that's good. I, I see the same thing. I haven't really witnessed it myself really that much, but right. I've also I've also heard that um, you know, like some of the fawns I don't know, I, I have no idea this is true. Maybe you know more on this, but if there is a fawn doe, you know, that was born that spring, maybe at some point she has matured enough to actually go through a cycle or go into estrus. Is that true? Like can that happen or like no oh. fawns? can be bred yeah. that first year What's i don't your- even want to answer i don't even want to answer that because uh if i did it'd be a guess and i don't know so i maybe yeah, yeah. I, I that's that's what i've heard i just don't, i don't know if it's true or not um yeah maybe somebody can uh chime in there <laughs> <laughs> somebody way smarter than both of us that's right <laughs> cool man well it looks like we have one question left and i i think I think there could be a pretty good story with this, but um, we have a question from Michael Presswood, and his question is, where's the 10th finger? <laughs> Where did it go, even, Dan? Where dude, did it go? I don't, e- <laughs> I don't even know if I have ever told this story, like the full story on a podcast. Yeah, I've, I've kind of heard bits and pieces of it a little bit, maybe just from bullshitting at the bar. At yeah. some of the shows and whatnot, but I haven't actually heard the full story. So, are you gonna are you gonna dive into that right now, Dan? I don't know, man. I like I think I should leave some mystery, but at the same time, I I've put out close to three hundred podcasts, and it is called the Nine Finger Chronicles. Wait, let me ask you: Do you think I should tell the story? I think you should, and then you should also write a book on it. <laughs> How I lost my. How I lost my right index finger. <laughs> That'd be a good coffee table book, wouldn't you think? Right. Christmas present. Screw it. Do it, Dan. Screw it. Do it. Screw it. It's it's time. I think. I think it's time. All right. Let's hear it. <laughs> so we've already gone roughly an hour, and this is going to be like a thirty-minute story, maybe. I'll, I'll try to give the abbreviated version, but I don't want to leave anything out. So, Atlanta, Georgia, two thousand and five. <laughs> I'm sorry, guys, but I'm going to have to make you wait just a little bit longer for that story. That story will be on the podcast next week, hopefully by Monday. And uh, I'm just wanted, I just wanted to build a little bit of anticipation and, and build this up so the story gets out. So I only need to tell it one time. So share this with all your friends. Uh, between now and then, I'm going to try to reach out to a couple of the uh, partners of the podcast and see if they uh, won't maybe do some giveaways for it. Uh, That might be worth it. Tune in next week to see or to listen. You won't see it because it's probably pretty disturbing if I showed video of it. I don't have video of it, but I'm going to tell the story of how I lost my right index finger. So stay tuned for that. Thanks, Adam, for uh, participating in today's Q&A. And thank you guys all for your questions. Thank you guys very much for your support, your continued support. Uh, It means a lot to me. I really appreciate it. And uh, like I said, without this, without you, this is not possible. So thank you very much. Also, I need to thank all of the partners of this podcast 
Wasp Archery, Ozonic Scent Elimination, Deer Lab, Exodus, Lone Wolf, Gearhead, Ripcord, and Bighorn Outfitters. Uh, please go out and support those companies because they support me um, in this podcast. And, uh, you know, thank you. Thank you to them. Thank you to you. If you haven't already, go to iTunes, leave a review. If you haven't already, follow me on Instagram, Nine Finger Chronicles on Instagram, Nine Finger Chronicles on Facebook. If you haven't already, please go to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network and follow on Facebook and Twitter there. Check out the sportsmansnation.com website and there is every podcast that we've ever launched is on that uh, on that website and along with the Land and Legacy podcast, the Transition Wild podcast and the DIY Sportsman's podcast. I am in talks right now as we speak with other categories. Uh, hopefully in 2018, I can bring in fishing podcasts. I can bring in waterfowl podcasts. I can bring in um, Western, more Western themed podcast and make it a one-stop shop for everybody. Um, I will be providing those probably on some new RSS feeds. So there's that. It makes it simple. It makes it easy to get multiple podcasts on one RSS feed that are all in the same category. So uh, that's coming down the pipe. If you're going to be in a tree, you know the drill, guys. Wear your damn safety harness. See you next week.